Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom, friends. Today we're continuing our study on the very Jewish Sermon on the Mount because it was given by the very Jewish Jesus the Messiah. And in order to understand the Sermon on the Mount and to understand at least the humanity of Jesus, you have to come to grips with who Jesus was as a Jewish person. And one day when we all sort of dance around the throne and uh, enjoy the presence of the Lord with when he returns in the kingdom, it will be a very Jewish kingdom with a Jewish king who will be the Lord of all, a Jewish king for both Jewish and Gentile people. So we're going to focus on some of these uh, words of Jesus and a little bit about the Jewish background, where he was coming from as a Jewish person living in a Jewish society. And that is very clearly expressed in the Sermon on the Mount. If you can understand the Sermon on the Mount, you have to understand the Jewishness of Jesus. Uh, Bobby is a Gentile believer. Am I kosher or what? Uh, Yeah, Mitch. uh, Shalom. And uh, yes, you are kosher, my friend. And uh, I think you're you're spot on when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And really just coming to the New Testament in general, It's really important for us as believers, as students of the word, as disciples of the Jewish Messiah to read the New Testament and not divorce it from its Jewish historical, cultural, grammatical context. When I picked up the New Testament and I looked at the chapters, it said Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I had no idea who these people were. And I Mm -hmm. thought that they were very strange titles for chapters, you know? Right. And, And so... I, I, but I, I kept looking at it and reading it, and I just, you know, once I realized it was a New Testament, which I didn't realize at first, I felt horribly guilty. I felt like my mother and my grandmother were looking over each shoulder, and I mm. uh, almost had uh, sweaty palms reading this New Testament, uh, because Jews are not supposed to read it. Why? Because in our understanding, the New Testament is not a Jewish book. Mm. It's a Gentile book. And if there's anything that keeps Jewish people away from believing in Jesus, it's the whole notion that when you become a believer in Jesus as a Jewish person, you're no longer a Jew. And that's the message we get from the Jewish community. And nobody really wants that. Really, it doesn't have anything to do with a Gentile being something negative. Mm -hmm. It's just that being a Gentile is something we're not. Right, right. And, And so it's very hard. And so we almost have to Gentilize Jesus as Jewish people. And uh, by doing that, it sort of keeps Jewish people away from Jesus. But when we realize that Jesus is Jewish, all of a sudden, the dynamic changes. And we yeah. start saying, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Maybe he could be the Jewish Messiah. Yeah. I imagine it's got to be just a shock to your system. And it's very hard to explain. Because one of the principles modern Jewish life is built upon is that we are not Christians. Mm-hmm. We are Jews. We read the Hebrew scriptures, quote unquote, the Old Testament, not the New Testament. I was stunned when I found out that Gentile Christians read the Old Testament. Hmm. I had no idea. I didn't know that till I was 19 years old. You know, I've noticed that as well, just in some of my interactions with Jewish people that I'm sharing the gospel with. I'll go out of my way to, to sort of build the bridge and help them understand that I worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And oftentimes it's like that thought has never occurred to, uh, to a Jewish person. Jewish people are surprised to discover that Jesus is Jewish and even that Gentile believers tap into the Jewishness of the Jewish Messiah. Yeah. So that really is articulated in the Sermon on the Mount. We spoke last time about the Lord's Prayer mm-hmm. and how it was a fairly typical Jewish prayer and still uh, has all the elements of Jewish prayer that we find uh, in the synagogue. For example, before you eat a meal, Jewish people always start by saying, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melchalam Hamotzi Lechem Min Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bring us forth bread from the earth. As Jewish believers in, in Messiah, we also add and brings the bread of life down from heaven. Mm. But Jewish people always thank God for meeting the uh, sort of mundane daily needs of our lives. Right. And we never let that go. And we emphasize the holiness of God, uh, who is hallowed be your name. Uh, the name of God is is considered so holy that you're never supposed to use it. Mm-hmm. So if you hear a Jewish person saying the, the word Jehovah, number one, I'm not sure how they know where the vowels go because that's that's unusual. But also by just naming the name of God, you're taking something absolutely holy mm-hmm. and bringing it into the mundane and the everyday and that's not something uh, that we want to do. It's, it's, it's inappropriate for a Jewish person to use the name of God. So we usually say Lord, or sometimes we even say the name. Uh, actually, it's a very strange Hebrew term. Some of you listening probably have never heard this, but it, it really articulates this. Sometimes I would use the word Adoshem, hmm. which is a composite term between Adonai, which means Lord, and Shem, which means name. Right. Right. Because his name and his lordship are all uh, inextricably wound together. And when you say Lord and name in this composite, Adoshem, you're again reminding yourself and everybody around you that his name is holy and that you're to keep it from becoming uh, everyday or mundane. Yeah. So you don't use it. And you that, you know, it. that might sound strange to like a typical evangelical Christian. You know, why go to such great lengths where you're creating new terms just to avoid the possibility of pronouncing the name of God. Like, hey, what's the big deal? But it comes from a place where uh, it's seeking to hollow the name of the Father, the name of God, right. and to not use his name in vain. Yeah. And of course, that word hallowed is from the Greek word agias, which means to holy, make holy. Yeah. which is from kadosh, mm-hmm. which is the Hebrew word or for holy. And there's a prayer in the synagogue that we recite where we say it three times. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Mm-hmm. Adonai Tzvaot, the Lord of hosts. And uh, Bobby, where does that come in the liturgy of Judaism? Do you know? So that's in what's called the Amidah prayer, uh, which right. is the standing prayer. Uh, right. It's actually a quote from Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 6, when he's in the throne room of God. It is one of my favorite passages. Yeah, it's beautiful. Who will go? Hineni, send me, mm-hmm. send me, Lord. So we look at verse 14 of chapter 6. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So that's a good principle. Forgiveness leads to forgiveness. And if you're forgiven, you're more apt to forgive. But if you do not forgive others, if you have an unforgiving spirit, then your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. The evidence of repentance and faith is a willingness to forgive as you've been 
forgiven. Right. And so we ask God to forgive us for our lack of forgiveness <laughs> during, during the Day of Atonement, you know. And this is one of the things that attracted me to the Gospels so much. It's not just that Jesus seemed Jewish, mm-hmm. but his words were very Jewish. Right. I mean, as a Jew, I didn't have to figure out the background right. to these things. I, yeah, these I are, understood these are it. These thoroughly Jewish topics and themes that are so prominent in the Sermon on the Mount in the words of Jesus. Right. And then he addresses fasting in verse 16. When you fast, don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they'll be noticed by men when they're fasting. That harkens back to verse 5, where Jesus said, When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. And so Jesus, of course, is getting to the heart of our relationship with God, this intimacy with God that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. And we're to do things for God and for God alone. So if you put on a gloomy face when you're fasting, you're trying to get attention uh, when actually you should smile while you're fasting. (laughs) Yeah. And and the reason for it is is because your fast is uh, a statement to God that you can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so it's a sign of dependence upon God. It's not a signal to get honor from men. Right. Right. And which also, again, is is a very Jewish teaching that we see. It's almost like uh, the words of Jesus here are echoing what the prophet Isaiah said about fasting in Isaiah 58. And uh, if we look there again, the words of Isaiah, just like the words of Jesus here, are drawing our attention to the proper motives when it comes to fasting. Uh, and, right. you know, this can apply to any spiritual discipline that we're employing in our life, whether it's prayer whether it's giving charity, whether it's fasting, or whether it's, uh, you know, any, any spiritual discipline. Uh, uh, this, the attitude is important. Exactly. The heart. It's not just the ritual. Right. The heart is important. So in, in Isaiah 58, Mitch, I'll just read it real quick, beginning in verse 5. Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth. Well, beautiful words from Isaiah. Uh, Fasting with the right attitude is a gateway to good works, which is a reflection of a heart that's right with God. And, uh, you know, I think it's a misunderstanding that Jewish people try to earn their salvation through good works. Mm -hmm. I think Jewish people intertwine good works with a relationship with God. If you have a heart for God, then you have a heart for people. And I think that's a good Jewish lesson. And sometimes we sort of caricature Jewish people in the Jewish religion as being a works-based righteousness. Uh, That might be partially true. Uh, But Jewish people genuinely and sincerely, and a lot of the religious Jewish people we know in Brooklyn, Bobby, Mm -hmm. I mean, they they try and do the right thing because they believe that's what God wants them to do. And so we'd love for that sincere heart 
to be drawn to the Messiah. And that's why we do what we do in Brooklyn. We share the gospel exactly. with Jewish people day exactly. in and day out. Yeah. And it's and, like it's like Paul's words in Romans that uh, you know, we recognize they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Something is missing. And what's missing, as we know, is Mitch, Jesus. is a relationship with the Messiah, Jesus. And so if you want to know what Chosen People is all about, Chosen People Ministries in existence for uh, since 1894, for over 125 years. Wherever we are, we're always doing the same thing, trying to help Jewish people discover that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died for their sins, rose again, crushed death, and that one day he's coming again in fulfillment of all those wonderful kingdom prophecies throughout the Hebrew scriptures. And so that's what we do. Uh, there are a lot of sincere, open-hearted Jewish people who just don't know the truth. Chosen People Ministries is dedicated to engaging and training local churches for Jewish evangelism. And one of the ways we accomplish this mission is by providing resources and materials that will deepen your understanding of what the Bible actually teaches. And if you'd like to learn more about what the Bible says about the end times and God's judgment, then please call us and ask for your copy of Joel Rosenberg's free booklet, Pestilence, Plagues, and Pandemics. It's available right now, and all you have to do is visit us online at chosenpeople.com radio. That's chosenpeople.com radio. What the Bible has to say about these topics is so vitally important to us in these times. So ask for Joel Rosenberg's free booklet, Pestilence, Plagues, and Pandemics, What Does the Bible Teach? When you call 888-293-7482. That number again is 888-293-7482. Thanks. We look forward to hearing from you soon. New York City, home to an estimated 1.6 million Jewish people. At Chosen People Ministries, we gather believers from all over the country every summer to proclaim the good news of Jesus the Messiah to Jewish people all around the city. We engage in street outreach and follow-up. We also invite our volunteers to a special Jewish cultural day, Sabbath dinner celebration, and more. If you have a heart for the Jewish people and love to talk about Jesus, visit chosenpeople.com slash shalomnewyork to find out more. That's chosenpeople.com slash shalomnewyork. We hope to see you this summer. Well, dear friends, we're ready to hear now a testimony of a Jewish man, Aaron Marcus, who had heard about Jesus in the university, but he didn't really think much about him until a traumatic school shooting led him into a deeper quest for spirituality and for faith. And so he read the scriptures and came to the right conclusion. Take a listen. I was born in 1985 in Central Virginia. My dad is Jewish, my mom is not. Um, so grew up going to a kind of borderline conservative reform synagogue. After my bar mitzvah, kind of my participation and engagement with the synagogue dropped off more and more. I continued to not get along with people who would have been around my age and, you know, very much became the butt of a lot of jokes. More than once the Jewish thing came out, I just kind of reinforced a sense of isolation. Going into college, went to school down at Virginia Tech in Southwest Virginia. 
While I was there, I met a bunch of guys who were part of a group called Navigators, a Christian campus group who I really connected with as I became friends with them uh, more and more. That was honestly like the first time in my life that I actually began to have friendships in a deeper way. These were guys that actually were genuinely interested in what was going on in my life. Through the next couple years, I actually really wanted to have nothing to do with Jesus. It wasn't something where I got to know these guys and you know a light went off and um, anything like that. One guy named David asked me what it was that I believe. I'm a Jew, Jews are God's chosen people. What are you really gonna say against that? Like, our history is kind of evidence enough that God is not, has not forsaken us, has not like punted us. Um, we exist kind of in defiance of all logic. So one day I was getting lunch with my friend David and Jesus came up and normally we would have maybe a short little interaction around it and it would kind of just trail off and go away. But as we were leaving the dining hall, um, David quoted something from the New Testament. Uh, Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. It kind of ran counter to an understanding that I had in my mind. Jesus or Christianity was opposed in a way to Judaism, that taking on one would be kind of be an eradication of the other. Um, yeah, so that was, that really shocked me. I was on campus during April 16th in 2007, which there was a, a shooting on campus um, early in the morning. A student shot two people in my dorm and then went across to, um, later in the day, a academic building and shot um, another 30 people in that, in, that, uh, yeah, in that hall before shooting himself. So two of those people I knew that he had killed. It wasn't something that I knew how to really process, really knew how to handle it all. Um, and so it was just, it's like getting punched in the head. It just makes everything foggy and you don't know what to do with it. Kind of as a result, I guess, of everything that happened on the 16th, I found myself really wanting um, to join my various friends at their church. And it wasn't something that I, I really knew or understood. It was just say, okay, I need to go. So it was, it was just a couple weeks after the shooting and a couple weeks after I went to church with them. I was wrestling with whether or not I wanted to actually learn more about this, about who Jesus was. It's something that I knew was connected to what I had been experiencing with these people over the last several years. Um, I knew it was connected to that, but it was just, it, honestly, I was afraid. And there was a little internal civil war, I guess you could say, um, going on where I felt very strongly like I needed to talk to my roommate Charlie about uh, Christianity, the guy who helped lead the Christian group that he was a part of on campus. He said that he would be more than happy to get together with me and talk about it if we wanted to. All right, Kent, uh, I have no idea how I know this, but apparently I am utterly convinced that everything in this book is true, um, the Bible. We talked through the through that summer. Um, we kind of, as I like to describe it, hopscotched our way through Scripture, starting in Genesis and kind of hitting 
high points all the way through. And as we talked about things and read stuff, conviction that I had kind of going into those conversations was backed up more and more um, by fact out of, the, out of the Bible. And as I was reading it, it was just like, yep, this makes perfect sense. You know, one of the immediate things that had first really grabbed me back the end of my freshman year was the, the community, the love that everybody continually showed. It was the first place that I really felt utterly at home. It was the first place that I felt like I actually belonged there. Everywhere else had always felt very distant, had always felt very um, disconnected, and honestly a lot of the times very unwanted. And that was, that was probably the most powerful thing um, that had ever, ever been shown to me. It was like, I felt like, all right, I'm, I'm actually at home. Like, this is where I belong. This is, I don't need to go hunting for anything anymore. <laughs> if I were to die today, I know that, that God is going to welcome me home, that Jesus will be there. Um, because I've trusted him to take care of me. I've trusted him to see me through to the end, to, I've trusted him um, for what he did to take care of what I can't. Um, and so, I'm, so, I'm, so that's, I know that's what's gonna happen after I die, is Jesus will take care of me through to the end. Shalom friends, this is Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. There is a growing movement of the Holy Spirit among second generation young adults. And we have a great ministry to these folks. There are hundreds of them. There's a beautiful commercial center, two and a half times the size of what we have now that'll seat over 150 people. We have space for children's work. We have space for a cafe. And so pray over the center. We'd love to have you come on a chosen people trip. But I know that you'll want to be involved in one way or another to help the gospel go out in power to Israel. To learn more about this new exciting project, visit chosenpeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. That's chosenpeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. Partner with us to bring the love of Yeshua to Israel today. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you'd like to learn more about this weekly program, then let me encourage you to stop by our website and explore. You'll find us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. We've got a variety of resources available, and we even have a free gift available for you just for reaching out. Joel Rosenberg is a dear friend, and he's written a book called Pestilence, Plagues, and Pandemics. What does the Bible teach? And my other friend, noted Dallas Theological Seminary professor Daryl Bach says, the plagues are a way for God to get our attention. Thank God that season of plague has stopped, but there are many other hardships in the world right now that we must pay attention to. The Messiah warns his disciples that pestilence, war, rumors of wars, will be one of the signs of the last days of human history. So it's only understandable that in a time of pandemic and war, that people are understandably frightened and wanting answers. And so if you'd like to know what the Bible teaches, about pestilence, plagues, and pandemics. Be sure to call us and ask for a free copy of Joel's book today. You'll find it at chosenpeople.com slash radio. You can also ask for the book today by writing to us at Chosen People Ministries, 
241 East 51st Street in New York, New York, 10022. Or give us a call at 888-293-7482. That's 888-2-YESHUA. And now let's wrap up today's program with the Aaronic Benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.